Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mark Leverage August podcast. Well, I say hello, everybody. I guess as it's August, lots of you won't be listening to this at all because you'll be away on holiday. Um, unfortunately, if you happen to have young children, you are forced to go on holiday in August, really, which, of course, sticks the price of all your holiday destinations and accommodation and so on up hugely. Being that my both my children are now um, well grown up and left home, it means that I have the luxury, as I did, of going on holiday right at the beginning of July before all the schools broke up. So I'm back in the saddle here, probably talking to myself. Anyway, last month, apart from the fact that I went on holiday, the other thing that happened was that there was the World Magic Convention, FISM, which of course took place in Rimini in Italy. Now, um, because I was on holiday, um, for one or two other reasons, I didn't attend as a dealer or anything like that. But um, from what I've heard, uh, there was one moment at FISM which uh, made it, uh, in an unexpected way, rather memorable. And that was when Juan Mayoral, instead of doing his act on stage, after a few moments of um, not doing any magic, stood up and made a little speech. I mean, it wasn't a rant, um, it wasn't a tirade, but it was a very gentle sort of speech in which he expressed his love for FISM and also his love for magic generally, but saying that the way that the um, FISM um, convention was now run made it impossible for him to perform his magic. And basically, he said, uh, until such time as FISM was reorganised so that it was more acceptable again as a more as an artistic um, event then he wouldn't be able to perform until that time came about and then he just walked off to a tremendous ovation from those who are present now i'm assuming that the, that most of what this um, speech is to do with is the television um, i mean i haven't been to a, a couple of for a couple of isms now but the last one that i did go to um, the television presence had become more and more intrusive. Now, we, we all know, of course, or we can imagine anyway, that putting on a massive event such as FISM uh, is a very expensive thing. And that um, television and the money that television brings would obviously go a long way to ensuring that there are enough funds to put on a fantastic event. But the problem has been, I think, that gradually over the last few FISMs, the balance between the, the, the needs as an artistic event of the performers are being um, overridden and superseded by the needs of the television crews and the television company. The last visit that I went to, I was in one gala show, and because of where I was sitting, part of the stage, my view of part of the stage, was actually blocked by a television camera. And then in one of the shows, I remember we were asked as the FISM audience to um, do wild applause and cheering so that they could film audience reaction. And then the television company could splice that into the edit that they were going to make of the show that we were watching. And you sort of felt yourself thinking, well, hang on a minute. And we're not a studio audience. We, we've paid a lot of money to come to a live magic event. It's supposed to be the greatest magic event uh, for us magicians that there is. And yet here we are being asked to do this sort of uh, um, canned laughter, canned applause um, type of reaction so that they can use it for television later. And it, it did uh, upset quite a lot of people. Well, clearly, that seems that it's also now upsetting the artists 
and the intrusion of television both backstage uh, and of course front of stage and the demands made by the TV are starting to affect the, the very essence it would appear of the event itself but what was interesting to me was um, Juan's um, two things really first it was Juan's um, actual uh, feeling that it was um, a statement that he wanted to make at the convention you know he didn't sort of just go on social media uh, and have a rant and a rave on there he actually stopped what he was doing on stage and took that moment to to put across his point and I, in a very sort of dignified i thought and and quite gentle manner really um so that was that was interesting that he was prepared to do that um because if if the audience hadn't been sympathetic hadn't been on his side hadn't given him applause they could have booed and jeered uh, and it would have been um for him personally a terrible disaster um clearly this wasn't the case because the audience applauded long and loud apparently but um so that was interesting that he he obviously had tapped into the feeling that a lot of people were were getting from the convention and the other thing was that was interesting to me was that um it's the first time that as that I'm aware of that somebody has um chosen to use um the position of power that a performer has when he's on stage or when he's performing to make a sort of political in with a small p to make a political point you know he could just go to the committee uh, of fism uh, the organizers and, and and lodge a complaint but he felt that it would be more effective to bring it out into the open and in a very public way and you would have to say well um if you start to think well that's a, an acceptable way to behave then what's to stop anybody who has um some sort of point that they want to make about magic or about anything else for that matter hijacking their their stage um sort of presence and their show in order to make the point i mean it's unlikely to happen but you can see how other people might think well actually that's a good idea because i've got some things i want to say about this and i've got some things i want to say about that so anyway it was a, a very interesting um, thing and and uh, i don't know what fallout or reaction there was at the time uh, or what uh, reaction there's going to be long term and whether there will be any changes made as a result of what he said but it was certainly i thought on on his part anyway a very brave move if you speak to children's entertainers who go out and do shows on a regular basis i think probably uh, with many of them you would discover that they have a feeling that there are less bookings out there to be had that magic perhaps for children is becoming less popular that parents are choosing to do other things at birthday parties and celebrations for children um than have the traditional thing which is having a, a magician to come in and entertain and i think sometimes you can get the impression that magic's on a bit of a downer um, but uh, i was um, i had this completely reversed for me uh, recently when um i was fortunate enough to get um, a couple of days of, of work at the RHS Wisley venue uh, in surrey it's a, a beautiful garden venue and they put all sorts of events on there and uh, and i was booked to do for two days over a weekend to do some close up um in the um sort of the, on the food terrace for basically for anybody to see there so it was kind of aimed at adults but it, there were family group lots of family groups there so really it was family magic 
Um, so I'd, I had to do that in the in the sort of over the lunch period. And then in the middle of the afternoon, um, in a, a large sort of marquee tent, there was some staging and I had to do a half an hour family magic show, which was basically a kid show. And uh, and I was a bit concerned because th- this particular event was uh, it was really nice, actually, because it had lots of different types of things going on. Obviously, there was me doing the magic, but then there was uh, the hedge men who dress up as and it sounds weird if you haven't seen them, but they dress up as as bushes, literally hedges, and they walk around in it and it looks quite bizarre. And people love to have their photographs taken with them. Not quite sure why, but they do. So they're very successful. So they were there. And there were lots of poets who were doing poetry readings or activities for children of his craft um, sort of activities. Um, so there was dance. Uh, there were little thea- theatrical productions. There's all sorts of things going on. And I noticed that um, as I was walking around during the day before I did uh, the children's show, I, I noticed that some of the events were very well attended, but some of them weren't. Um, some of them just literally had half a dozen people sitting there listening to whoever was doing the presentation. And I was thinking, oh, gosh, you know, what's going to happen if when I get to three o'clock, uh, I have my sort of larger kids show there. And what's going to happen? I'm going to have six people sitting in the front row uh, or worse, six people scattered around in, uh, on all the chairs. They, you know, they set out 150 chairs. I thought somewhat optimistically. Um, anyway, I, I need to worry because it was absolutely rammed with people. Um, all the seats were taken, um, all the extra grass areas, both in front of the stage, down the aisles and at the back, were completely full of people. Were people standing outside the tent because it had an open, completely open one side. People standing outside because they couldn't get in, looking in as well. Uh, and I was just amazed. And it was the same both days. And it was terrific because you had 250 people, something like that, um, all there enthusiastically looking forward to the magic show and uh, it was terrific i haven't done a a big kid show like that for quite a while and i really enjoyed it it was huge fun and of course as you know if you if you work with a big audience that's enthusiastic and on your side it's a wonderful feeling Um, but what it proved to me uh, if if nothing else is that there is enthusiasm for magic. People do want their children to see live magic performance. And I think that the only reason that the birthday party uh, circuit is perhaps suffering a bit is that we're in a cycle where where parents are trying to find different things to do. Uh, and because children's entertainers have been used for so many years, um, we're slightly out of fashion at the moment. But I'm sure that the, it's not that magic's out of fashion. I think it's just the format of having a magician at a child's party is slightly out of fashion. Um, and, but hopefully, um, all the time that magic stays generally popular, eventually uh, the bookings will start to come in again on a more regular basis. And, and maybe people will get tired of going to the David Lloyd Centre or wherever they go to, to have their parties these days. And we'll go back to the more what we would consider to be traditional children's party, giving us all that little bit of extra work. Last year, I began a new series of e-books um, called the Professional Worker Series. The idea is to produce e-books that have basically no tricks in them, but which give a lot of detailed information about how to go about doing different types of magic performance. Um, the first volume was called Going Walkabout, in which I talked about how to do mix and mingle magic, where your audience basically are all standing up. Then the second volume, which came out in September of last year, 
Um, that was trade show magic, where I talk about how I go about using strolling magic in a trade show context. And now I'm pleased to announce that uh, from the 1st of August, I've released the third volume, which is called The Table Magician. I think there's quite a big difference, or certainly a lot of differences, between doing walkabout work and working at tables. Um, the, the, the physical nature of having to stand at a table side and get everybody's attention, particularly, I think, at big dinner functions, um, requires quite a lot of expertise. And in my view, I think it's one of the most difficult things that close-up magicians are expected to do. I mean, anybody who has worked at a, a large, noisy, sort of bustling dinner event will know that you're never going to be just the only thing going on. If nothing else, the people are going to be eating. But there's usually background music, there may be speeches, there may be competitions going on. There are a lot of things that you have to be able to cope with, never mind actually doing magic at all sorts of different sized tables with different amounts of people sitting around them. So what this ebook does is to um, explain all the different situations that you can find yourself in when you're working tables, tells you um, how to make light of the difficulties that this then presents and explains different um, good practice, I think, um, aspects of good practice, which you can hopefully, if you don't do it already, or even if you do, um, will give you some ideas about how to approach doing this type of work. The ebook is available for £10 as a PDF download, and uh, it's also available as an audio book. Um, earlier this year, I um, also released the volumes one and two in the series as audiobooks. And they're available either on a CD, if you want to uh, pop a CD into the car so you can listen to it while you're driving along. Or, alternatively, you can have it as a, an MP3 download. Um, either way, I think it's, uh, well, however you decide to access the information, I think you'll find that the, uh, that the contents are really, really helpful. And everything is based entirely on my own experience of doing this type of magic for many years. And I think if you work tables, um, it's a, a real, really good way to get excellent information um, in a format that's easy to understand and easy to implement. So that's a new release then for this month. And that's volume three in the Professional Worker series, The Table Magician. Time was, and it wasn't that long ago, when virtually all show inquiries um, came through on the telephone. You know, we used to put an advert in yellow pages and that you tended to elicit telephone calls. Uh, and of course, then we were forever giving telephone quotes for shows. And we all got pretty good at it, I guess, because we did it so often. Um, but in the last few years, of course, as the Internet has taken over and people are inquiring virtually always now um, via the web, usually via email, um, the situation has changed because now we are all required to pre present, if you like, our quotes back again via email. Um, and I actually have got to rather like this because I think you get um, more time in which to consider um, the implications of whatever the booking might be and to formulate in your own mind exactly how much you would like to charge. Now, when someone's talking to you on the phone, you, you have to kind of think on your feet. I mean, yes, I guess most people, as I do, you have a scale of charges. It's not just a random figure plucked out of the sky. Uh, there are some ballpark figures that you start with, but there are occasions where, depending on the nature of the show, where it is, how many people, how, how big an event it is, and so on and so forth, where the price will vary. 
And I think when you're trying to talk lucidly to somebody on the phone and at the same time thinking, what am I, I'm going to get to a point where I have to quote this fee. What am I going to charge? That's actually quite stressy. And I think the less that you do it, the more stressy it becomes. And I've got to the point now where actually I don't particularly like it when somebody rings me. But that's a real pity because um, when you talk to somebody over the phone about their booking, it gives you a golden opportunity to either seal the deal through the things that you say and in response to what they say, as opposed to just how much you charge for a wedding type of inquiry. So it gives you that advantage. And it also gives you possibly the advantage to to upsell or to change what the person thought they wanted. You know, that they they come to you with an idea and they chat to you on the phone about it. And they say, well, we were hoping to have magic doing this, this and this. And you know from experience that's really not going to work. In the course of the conversation, you can gradually introduce a better idea until by the time that you get to the point where they need to make a decision, um, you've actually changed the nature of what you're going to do into something that you will feel much more comfortable about doing. So in a way, the, the, the ability to talk to somebody is, um, is actually a really good thing. Now, there is a way around this, of course, a compromise, which um, uh, maybe a lot of people do already. And that is that um, when somebody contacts you, get their phone number. So they contact you by email. And if you happen to be able to get their phone number, if you have an I have an, a form, for instance, um, on my website that people have to fill out in order to contact me with a show inquiry. And on that form, I ask for the telephone number. Now, um, I do actually ask them, do you want me to contact you by email with the quote or by phone? And 99% of the people say by email. But if you weren't to have that there, if you were to get their phone number, you'd have all the advantage of an inquiry coming in. You look at it and you think, "Mm, okay, um, I could do this, this and this. Work out a price in your head and then you ring them. Now you have the advantage of being able to talk to somebody, of being able to influence them over their decision about booking you or about, of course, changing, as I mentioned earlier, changing the show into something that you think is more appropriate and you already have the figure of what you're going to charge in your head. So you kind of don't have that uh, trying to find a price on the hoof situation, but you do have the advantage of actually speaking to somebody. So um, in a way, that's quite a good compromise, isn't it? And although sometimes trying to get hold of somebody on the phone can be a bit frustrating, especially if they're hard to get hold of, if you can get hold of them, maybe it's uh, still a really good way um, to get the booking in the first place. I mentioned earlier in this podcast about the show that I did at RHS Wisley and um, it, it reminded me also about the funny things that kids sometimes shout out in a show. And um, I have a puppet routine, which I love to do. It's a big dog puppet. And um, the start of the routine requires me to um, reach into my roll on table and I bring out a box and this box actually is, it's, a, it's only a small box, but it, it's basically, it's empty apart from some tissue paper. And I reach into the box and I bring it out. And so inside my big box, I have a smaller box. And inside this box, there's, oh, nothing except some tissue paper. Ah, sorry, that's because it's the wrong box. So I put the box on the top of my roll-on table. And I say, don't worry, I've got another one. In my box, my large box, I have a smaller box and then I bring out a second one and I open that one up and that's got tissue paper in it as well I say don't worry 
it's the wrong box. I have another box. Well, I got to this point uh, on this particular afternoon. Uh, and uh, so I brought out the two boxes and I was just saying, don't worry, I have another box. When a, a little girl shouted out, just bring out the last box, which I thought was hilarious. It was so logical. She, she was trying to short track the whole business. Stop bringing out the wrong ones and just bring out the right one. Well, it absolutely cracked me up and it cracked all the adults up too. Kids are great, aren't they? I was reading a really interesting article by Pat Fallon in the Magic Circular last month in which he was talking about illness and the difficulties that this can cause for, well, professional performers, but almost anybody, of course, who has to go out and do shows. And, and he was saying that uh, he's kind of old school and that he, that he will make almost any sacrifice in order to be able to to go out and perform no matter how ill he's actually feeling and i was thinking about this and uh, because he he mentioned at one point that he had never in his whole career and he's been a pro a long time that he'd never actually cancelled a show due to illness which i thought was a pretty astounding record and it led me to think about um, my own situation and i can remember there was just one occasion uh, many years ago when I did have to, I had flu and I had to cry off. I couldn't get out of bed, never mind um, doing it. And it wasn't man flu. It was real flu, by the way. Um, but apart from that, uh, touch wood, um, I've been very fortunate. And I've often thought that, particularly at Christmas time in December, when um, everybody seems to be having flu or colds or some sort of virus or other, and as magicians, we are mixing and mingling with all of these people repeatedly over a short spell. And if ever we're going to pick up some sort of bug or something, well, you'd think we were almost bound to pick it up then. The odd thing that I find is that um, I don't think I ever do. I might lose my voice a little bit through overuse, um, but that's about the worst it gets. And yet the minute that I stop, let's say at Christmas time itself, I will often come down with a cold. And, uh, and I've had this theory, and if anybody out there is medical, let me know about whether this is any fact in this or not. But I've always thought that in order to perform, you, you produce a lot of adrenaline. There's a, there's a real upbeat sort of um, nature that you need to incorporate in order to be a good entertainer, I think. And this adrenaline, I have always felt, kind of protects me in some way. Or, or, or boosts my antibodies or something like that in order to keep away um, most of the, the little bugs that are going around. And then when that adrenaline stops, in other words, when I stop performing and I'm not on this constant performing high, that's why I suddenly go down with something. My body goes, oh, right, that's that done. So it, it could be something to do with adrenaline. It could also be to do with feelings of responsibility, if you if you take your shows really, really seriously and you are desperate not to let anybody down, then I think mind over matter comes into play. If you've got a sore throat or you're feeling pretty wretched, then the thought that, well, I've still got to go and do this show um, overrides that feeling and kind of make your brain pushes it to the back and doesn't let it take over. Whereas if you're in, in relaxation mode, you think, oh, I feel terrible, and you can just sort of slump in a chair in front of the telly or just stay in bed and not bother to get up, it actually makes you feel worse in some ways. So maybe there's something in that too, or maybe it's a combination of both those things. But um, I, I certainly would, would say that uh, the fact that you have shows um, does seem to keep, certainly for me anyway, and maybe for you too perhaps, 
keep the bugs away, for which I'm very, very grateful. So it's now just over a month until the first session will be taking place at the Mark Leverage Magic Academy here in Exeter. And um, the um, the room itself, the training room, which we've been um, converting from uh, a classroom, um, the actual building side of that is now all complete. And it has a, a new sort of toilet and kitchen area. And uh, the room itself will is going to be um, decorated shortly. But the actual building part is now all done and ready to go, which is very exciting. We're really looking forward to it. And the first session um, is on brushing up on card counts, which is um, a session in which I'm going to be having a hands-on session teaching various um, well-known counts, such as the Elmsley count, the Hammond count, the Gemini count, and so on. There are four of them all together. And I'll also be teaching three routines using the counts too. Um, the Academy is going to be hosting um, on the second Saturday of every month a different, completely different subject. Sometimes it'll be a lecture, sometimes it'll be, as in this first case in September, it's going to be um, a workshop. And um, But the idea is that it will be very small numbers so that the people who come get virtually personal tuition uh, from me, which hopefully will be of benefit and help them to learn much more quickly. Um, go to the website and have a look and see what the sessions are. Um, the brushing up on car counts is the one in September. There's uh, the business magician in October and there's a coin magic one uh, in, uh, in November. Full details are on the website. In the summer months, uh, strolling magicians often get the opportunity, of course, to work outside. And uh, it's a funny thing because most of the time, probably two-thirds of the year uh, we're working in low lighting perhaps uh, always working indoors uh, and then suddenly just for a couple of months two or three months of the year we perhaps suddenly get the opportunity to work out in bright sunlight and this throws up two interesting things the first thing is that when you're working in low lighting let's say in a restaurant or at a dinner function where the lights are turned down your technique, the way that you do moves, um, doesn't have to be quite so 100% sharp because the low lighting and the distractions of the things going on around people, particularly, say, at a dinner function, often means they're not watching you that closely. When you then work outside in bright sunlight, I find it, I suddenly feel incredibly exposed because everything is so bright and well-lit and clear for everybody to see and so I suddenly feel oh gosh you know when I do this move I'm gonna to have to do this move really well because otherwise I'm not going to get away with it <laughs> and, it and it's kind of a funny thing it makes you think oh is, is, has my technique got a bit sloppy because I'm working normally in in fairly poor lighting conditions that I can get away with stuff but now suddenly I'm not will my technique still be good enough to get away with it so that's the first element, the fact that it's very brightly lit and therefore you have to be better at what perhaps at the moves that you do. The other thing is sunglasses. Um, when lay people wear sunglasses, because it's bright and it's outside, um, with most sunglasses, you can't actually see their eyes. Because you can't see their eyes, you don't know exactly where they're looking. Their head, the way their head is tilted, may make you think they're looking at your left hand but their eyes could have moved across and be looking at your right hand. Now, normally, 
I, I, I've never really thought about this and, um, when people are not wearing sunglasses. I just I look at where people are looking and I make sure that I'm if I'm palming something, I make sure my hand is turned at the correct angle so they can't see because I can just glance at them and can see where they're looking. When you take that facility away because they've got sunglasses, you suddenly think you're about to do a move and normally you create some misdirection perhaps to do the move. And then you can see at the moment when everybody is distracted, that's when you do the move. Suddenly you think, are they looking or are they not looking? <laughs> it's it's quite bizarre. I don't know whether you found this as well, but it's really quite off-putting. And it's funny, the other day I was doing something outside and all three people were wearing sunglasses. And there was a, a, a sort of young man there and he was talking to me about the magic a bit, a bit. And he said, here he said, I bet you don't like it when we're wearing sunglasses. And I looked at him and I said, oh, why do you think that? He said, well, you don't know where I'm looking, do you? And I thought, well, that's ex that's always what I felt, that you're not quite sure. And there he was as a spectator actually saying, you don't know where I'm looking. I could be looking somewhere you don't want me to look. And he'd realised that, which I thought was fascinating. So uh, you do have to be a bit careful. You've got to get your technique really good because it's brightly lit. And you've got to watch out because they could be looking where you don't want them to look. Right, another half an hour has raced by. Um, it's been great to spend some time in your company and I really hope you've enjoyed the August podcast. Have a good holiday if you're, if you're going off this month and I shall look forward to being back here again with you in September. Have a good month. Bye for now.